everyone, and welcome back to the show, A Balanced Life for You, where you design the life of your dreams. I'm your host, Rhonda Cimarelli, and I'm a certified transformational coach helping mompreneurs double their income and balance their juggling act. Well, today on my show, I have a really special guest. Her name is Jamie Dickens, a special education advocate. She's a single mom of three and also the owner founder and CEO of Path Advocacy. So, Jeannie, um, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get to speak with you. Well, thank you. So, Jeannie, you and I had um, some conversation previously, and I would love for you to share with my listeners a little bit more about you and what you currently do. Okay, great. I'd love to. Um, I... I'm uh, currently working as a special education advocate in my own business, which um, flowed out of a previous career that I had as an elementary school teacher. So I started my career um, many years ago and uh, taught for about 15 years. Um, I became a mom to two kids uh, simultaneously when we adopted them from Russia back in 2002. Um, They were four and a half and almost two years old when we brought them home. And I was teaching and continued to teach for several years after um, bringing those kids into our family. Um, About five years after that, we had a homegrown surprise who um, arrived on the scene after we were told that that was never going to happen. So number three came into our family, and uh, I was still teaching at that point. Our our older two kids did come with some challenges, as uh, um, some folks may understand, you know, when you adopt older children from um, difficult situations, they have baggage that they bring with them. And so I was I was prepared for that insofar as anyone can ever be prepared. Um, and as a teacher, I felt pretty equipped to handle um, advocating for my own kids and making sure that they got what they needed. And I did do that. We worked with therapists and counselors and um, had a lot of help with our two oldest kids when we first brought them home. And um, that was extremely helpful. Um, and then number three came along, our, our only biological child, and at, at the age of about 15 months, he stopped eating, and um, we didn't understand why, and that precipitated uh, several years of trying to figure out what was going on with this kid, all kinds of therapies. Um, at one point when he was about two, we ha- were going to therapy four days a week, and I still was teaching full-time, and I had, um, you know, these kids, my older kids that still had needs and, you know, things going on. So things started to kind of reach a point of, I don't know how I'm going to continue to do this. And at the same time, my professional life was really losing its luster. And as a teacher, uh, I just was faced with um, classroom situations that just didn't really allow me to um, be the kind of teacher that I had always been in terms of being able to focus on my students and what they needed. And, um, you know, things became more standardized due to the state in which I I live and um, high-stakes testing and all of those things. So 
a perfect storm started to brew, which was my kids really needed more time and more help than I had because of working outside of the home. And I wasn't really loving what I was doing anymore, which was a big shift because I loved teaching for a really long time. And frankly, I was good at it. I, I had my master's degree, my national board certification. I was in it for the long haul. Um, so things started to come together, and uh, I knew that I needed to make a change. So that was the birth of, of my business, um, and that was oh, about five and a half years ago. So back around 2000, what is that? What is it, about 2012 then? Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. That's, um, that has, that's a lot going on, um, Jane. With three children, all of what I'm hearing have a spe- uh, special needs of their own. Right. Each individual mm-hmm. child, is that correct? <clears throat> yeah. You were working, teaching full-time. And mm-hmm. what grade, can I ask you what grade you were teaching? Uh, I, I taught fifth grade for 10 years, and I taught third grade for five years. So during this, this, was, during this period, um, I was teaching fifth grade, and then I changed schools and changed grade levels and went to third grade at a, at a brand new school. So there was lots of transition going on. Oh, my gosh. Just curious, do you have a favorite, teaching fifth grade or third grade? (laughs) Well, I tend to have a little bit of a sarcastic uh, sense of humor. And so my my fifth grade kids got that a little bit better. When I I shifted down to third grade, I really had to um, be careful how I expressed myself just because the third graders (laughs) would kind of look at me like, what? Um, So I I love the third graders. I really, uh, you know, from like a – from a loving mom kind of standpoint, they still call you mom sometimes. You know, when you're teaching third mm-hmm. grade, they'll say, mom, I mean, you know, and then they <laughs> say your name. Um, and so there's, both grade levels have their, have their benefits. But um, I would say I particularly connected with the fifth graders. And they're hard, that's a hard age, you know, 10 or 11. Um, mm-hmm. They're kind of awkward. They're not, they're not in middle school yet, but they're, you know, feeling their oats a little bit. So, um, so I did, I connected with those kids. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that was my niche probably. Yeah. And it sounds like they probably connected with that, um, sarcasm a little bit better as well. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, I can be a little sarcastic and my fifth grader goes, mom, you're being so sarcastic. <laughs> I was like, oh, you get <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> yeah. They're just starting to get it, which is kind of fun. Yeah. It is. It gives you a different persona with them. Um, so one of the things I always like to ask is, all right, so we've got the picture. You, you've been teaching for 15 years. You adopted some children. They have some special needs. Um, I love how you introduce your third child homegrown, and mm-hmm. I just love that term. <laughs> you and I right. Talking. I had one of those homegrown surprises too. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so now you've, you've had this perfect storm brewing, and it was the mm-hmm. birth of your new business, which is right. a half advocacy, correct? Correct, yeah. So tell us a little bit how past advocacy um, began and the shift mm-hmm. that it took um, with you. Because I know my listeners are thinking, all right, so she was working. She, you know, you obviously have that morning routine that many women have, you know, the get up, right. get ready, the lunch, the this, the that. How did things shift for you starting a business? Mm-hmm. Well, 
what was really exciting for me, well, there were two things happening. It was kind of the classic, um, you know, double-edged sword. But um, I, was, I was really struggling to enjoy my, my teaching life. <clears throat> and at the same time, these other things were starting to fall into place. And I had this, I had this plan in my head that I would teach for a few more years. I would grow this business slowly on the side, kind of very methodically and slowly, and I would just let it evolve over time, and I would keep the security of my teaching job. But <clears throat> as often happens, um, you know, things just started to really escalate. And I, you know, I, I have heard the analogy that, you know, God will tap you on the shoulder, and then he kind of Pops you on the head, and then he, you know, maybe smacks you upside the, you know, <laughs> behind. Or, well, it, it got to the point where I was feeling these nudges and bigger nudges, and eventually it was like the two by four, and then it was the railroad tie, and I just started really recognizing in my life as a whole that I was being pushed to do this, and I, I encourage everyone listening to really look for those elements because I do think that when we identify something that really is good for us, those signs are there if we pay attention. And oftentimes your friends or your relatives can see those things even better than you can. And, you know, maybe you'll have a best friend or a, or a mentor or someone saying, you know, hey, are you, are you noticing what's going on? I had several people saying, wow, it just seems like everything's falling into place. And it took a few people to also recognize it for me to feel the confidence that I needed. Um, but eventually, uh, it was October of the school year, and I gave my resignation in the middle of the school year because it, the, the, the prodding was that pervasive and that compelling that I left in the middle of the school year, which is, that's a, that's a very big deal for a teacher. I mean, it was, there was a tremendous amount of weeping and gnashing of teeth on my part. I mean, I truly, um, I, I didn't want really to leave those kids. You know, I, I just wanted to be able to pursue what I felt my calling was. And so this business is really an outgrowth of everything I know personally and professionally. It's that perfect synthesis of all of my skills. And so to give a little bit more information, when I started PASS, P-A-S-S stood for post-adoption school support. And my, my goal at that point was to reach out specifically to parents who had adopted children from either domestically from foster care or internationally. And that's, of course, what we had done. So mm -hmm. I felt uniquely qualified, and frankly, I'm, I'm still uniquely qualified to help parents of, of uh, post-institutionalized kids get settled in school. And so my vision at the time was, and no one was doing this, and no one still is doing this specifically, working directly with post-adoption issues. My goal was really to make contact with adoption agencies and convince them 
that they owed their clients a better approach to post-adoption support. Mm-hmm. Because um, right now, even now, five years later, the paradigm within the adoption community is agencies hold your hand and stroke your back and, and whisper sweet nothings in your ear until you get home with these kids. And then it's congratulations on your family. See ya. <laughs> oh, there is yeah. very little post-adoption support. And that is a problem that is pervasive throughout the adoption world in general. There's just very little post-adoption mm-hmm. support. And some of your listeners might remember, you know, several years ago when some poor woman put a child back on the plane to Russia and everyone was so appalled. <clears throat> and I thought, and, and truthfully, that was wrong and she shouldn't have done it that way. But at the same time, I knew what caused her to do that because I was mm-hmm. living it. I had kids under my roof that were breaking my heart on a daily basis. Now, this lady was scared for her life. She was sleeping with her door locked and a knife under her pillow because she was convinced this child was going to kill her. Mm -hmm. And that may or may not have been legit, but I can tell you from my work in this community and my connection to folks who have adopted, that's very real. And so for me, as a mom who had been through nothing that dramatic, but still trying to help these two very um, damaged kids because they, they came to me with lots of trauma. Um, I understood what it felt like to be that mom, and I also understood what it felt like to be the teacher with a child in my classroom, and I needed to be able to help them. So my advocacy work is, as I said, it's the synthesis of everything I knew as a mom of special needs kids everything I knew as a teacher of special needs kids, because I'd had many come through my my regular ed classroom over the years. And then one of my passions has always been bringing people together. And often my principal would would call me and say, okay, I've got this particularly difficult mom, and I'm going to give you this kid because I need you to work with this mom. And that was always fine for me because I figured – Someone needed to, to bring her back around and help that mom feel comfortable about school and all those things. So that was something I had always done. I had always found it thrilling to go into an adversarial situation and talk everybody down <laughs> and get everybody working together again. So what I decided to do is just focus exclusively on helping those kids, helping their parents, and helping their teachers which is what is everything I knew how to do. And so really that is how I decided this is exactly what I'm supposed to do on the planet because it is such a perfect fit for my skill set. And that is how I decided to make the jump in the middle of the school year. Wow, that's, that's really amazing, Jean. And for everyone listening, I, I hope you hear the passion in her voice you are you I can hear the passion in your voice as you talk about this and taking your skills and your experience and your knowledge um, and, and applying this into a new career business opportunity for yourself to help these parents and um, you know I don't personally uh, relate to that however we do have a 
a family member, a cousin, who adopted a child internationally. And mm-hmm. as I listen to your story, I, I just think to myself, um, what a benefit you could or still still could or could have been to right. this family. Um, uh-huh. You know, because they have brought a child home and unbeknownst to them, she um, is dealing with epilepsy and some other factors. Right. And I, know, I just know, you know, they waited a long time to adopt this child, and I know it's been very stressful and trying for them as, as a couple. Mm-hmm. Right. And I applaud you for the work that you're doing and the passion that you put into this. So thank you. Thank you. It's really something that I, I do enjoy, and I, I find that um, because I have, credibility on both sides of the table, it helps parents to feel comfortable being authentic and transparent with me because they know I've been through it. And at the same time, when the school system sees my credentials, they know, oh, okay, well, she's an educator. She knows the the deal. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it kind of helps both sides to feel comfortable that I do understand where everybody's coming from. And that is a unique position to be in when you're negotiating with people that are feeling a lot of tension in, in an adversarial situation. So, mm-hmm. um, again, it's that perfect, you know, the way things come together. And, and I know your listeners will see those things happen in their lives too where they have a, um, a skill set and everybody does, whether it's, you know, something that you think is unique or not, there's a way to put those things together to, um, to have fun with what you do. And I often heard stories of, you know, follow your bliss and what's your passion. And, I, you know, at the time when I was, had three kids and teaching, I was kind of like, oh, I don't even have time to think about what my passion is. But um, I do think that when we open ourselves up, even if it's just a mindset where you don't really do anything, you're not meditating every, you know, three times a day on it. You just open yourself to what it is that puts those things together. Something will emerge, and then it's up to you to decide if you're going to jump on it and do something with it. Absolutely. It's, it's be open to the possibilities and don't have such a closed mind. That's when things, right. that's when things happen. And, you know, speaking of that, I would love to kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when we're – one of the things that comes to my mind as far as um, being open to opportunities and don't be closed-minded are things on how to relax for you as the mom. Because every mm-hmm. mother I've ever known, including myself, mama four, there, there has to be a time and a way and a place – and a decision made for you to take time for you to refill your cup. Um, mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I coach my clients about is if you don't take time to refill your cup, you will forever be empty. And right. no one, it's no one else's job to really do that but yours. Right. And so what I would love to know is how do you, Jamie, take time for you? What do you do to relax and enjoy and unplug? Yeah. Well, it became particularly important for me as my marriage ended and I shifted from being, you know, a a two-parent household to a one-parent household. And um, it was a very amicable split. There wasn't, I mean, I'm very fortunate that that didn't get ugly because I know so many women go through um, the opposite. Ours was, you know, ours was as friendly as it could have been. 
But even so, <laughs> even so, um, shifting into single parenthood has been a huge undertaking for me. And so that idea of, you know, putting the oxygen mask on myself first has been really important. So um, to be honest with you, there are a couple of things that, um, that I have discovered really calm my spirit. And, um, you know, people will say, um, well, I, I go get a pedicure or I get a massage or, um, and I've done those things too, but I found that I felt good for the 45 minutes that, I, that those things were happening, but I didn't really notice a lasting effect so that when I was done with that, I was good for a week, you know. And so I, I spent a little bit of time actually really thinking about and paying attention to what is it that raises, um, for lack of a better term and not to sound too uh, mm -hmm. woo-woo, but raises my vibration, you know, makes me feel that happy vibe on the inside. And um, what I noticed is that my favorite music does that. And so, um, you know, there I have a playlist of my most favorite songs of all time. And so if I'm feeling particularly overwhelmed, I absolutely just blast that playlist. Um, and I can do that while I'm working. You know, I don't even have to take time away from something that I'm doing to turn on that music, and I just instantly feel a lift. And that is something that carries me longer than some of the other things that I've tried. The other thing that I noticed is um, I, um, I took short clip videos um, over the years, and, and I am a Facebook user, and so I, I would post little videos to my Facebook feed. And it occurred to me, because I, I had one of these videos come up as a memory a couple of years ago, and it was of my baby when he was uh, like maybe two months old, and it was a video I took of what he looked like when he woke up in the morning, and he was so happy. And it's only like a two-minute video, mm -hmm. and I'm getting emotional just talking about it, but it's so uplifting, so I just will go back to that video spend two minutes, and it, it brightens my day. So I would encourage people to really kind of tune into what are those little things you could do that doesn't require that you clear your calendar and, and make an appointment. You know what I mean? It doesn't cost any money. Um, it's just those – I have found that those little things um, sustain me uh, throughout the day and even into the week. So those are, uh, you know, two small tips. Then one other thing I did is I, I realized that um, I, I really do enjoy flowers, but I don't have a green thumb at all. So I will buy the $5 bouquet from Walmart once a week or something, and I just always keep fresh, fresh flowers in my office where I'm working. Um, and it just, that just makes me happy. And it's a really small investment. Um, and they're not fancy flowers, but there's something about that that just makes me feel, you know, it makes me feel great. And I love looking at them, and um, it lifts my spirits. So um, those are some small things. I mean, obviously, I do try to get away, you know, I, I have time with my best friends. I, I do all the traditional things that, you know, that ladies 
should do, um, or at least some of the traditional things. But those, those are some, maybe some different tips that really don't cost much and, and can do a lot to, to keep you, you know, kind of above the fray a little bit. Well, I think you've really hit the nail on the head, honestly, because uh, when you mention Manny and Petty, and yes, you were relaxed for the 45 minutes, um, what I'd like to really let women know is, yes, that, that is a, a feel-good thing. However, if you look at that more as a reward for yourself, you know, I've mm-hmm. been focused on my business or I've you know, achieved this goal and, and treat yourself to that um, mani or pedi or massage, mm-hmm. that's, that's another way to use that form. And I agree right. with you 110% about, um, I love how you put it, raise my happy vibe. And that's mm-hmm. really what it's about um, because when we put ourselves in what you said, the happy vibe, it's a happy place. Mm-hmm. And I've heard for years and I learned from even John Asura, when, you're, when you go out and put yourself into that place, whether it be blasting that favorite playlist or stepping outside into nature or going to sit in the sun or whatever it is, um, some people, they just love animals. You know, they just will hang out mm-hmm. with their dog or their cat. What it does is it raises that, that happy vibe, that energy, puts us in a better frame of mind. And when we're in a better frame of mind, we're able to have um, better, more positive actions that we take right. in, our, right. in our daily life, whether it be for our business, for our decisions with our children. And when we make more positive decisions, we have better positive outcomes. So I think that's a wonderful tip that you have just shared with everybody. And thank you for putting it in your own words as well. <clears throat> well I want to respect your time, and I don't know if we're going to get through all of our questions, but I do want to know, um, you know, with, with three children, uh, being a single mom, I know some of my listeners are challenged with, um, again, kind of balancing that time with work and kids and mm-hmm. yourself, and we've covered the first two, but... What does quality time look for look like for you and your um, children? What do you do? Well, with my youngest, um, he has always been uh, especially. Um, I don't want to use the term needy because that has a negative connotation, but he just mm-hmm. he has always valued the time right before bed and when he first wakes up. And so um, we've gotten into a routine of having snuggle time um, every night at bedtime. And he's almost nine, and he still snuggles with me in bed before um, he goes up to his room. And so the challenge for me is I get sleepy and just want to stay in bed <laughs> at 8.30. Um, but um, we, we have a little 30-minute ritual where we just, snuggle in my room and we talk or sometimes we'll watch, um, you know, something on TV if we're not in a talkative mood. But most of the time it's that we're just kind of snuggling and talking. And, um, you know, I used to tuck him in and all those things. Now he he takes himself to bed, but he still mm-hmm. wants that time um, alone with me. And his, his older brother, who is 18, is out of the house now. Um, but his younger sister, who's almost 16, is still in the house. So that's a time that is dedicated just for him. And honestly, because it's close to bedtime, it's easier for me to break away and do some things, um, well, and do some things with him um, because it's a time that normally we're not trying to work 
although I do often come back to work after he gets settled down. Um, so that's a that's something that I know when he's 25, he won't remember that he snuggled with mom. And that's really quality time that we have where we're very connected um, and we're talking or we're just being in each other's presence. And it's a very, um, it's just, it's a very sacred time. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel, you know, even though I may not always uh, toss the ball with him or do um, some of those things that, maybe he would like me to, I know that we have that time every day um, and that really does help us both feel like we we stay connected. With my 16-year-old daughter, (laughs) I mean, until the aliens bring back my kid, um, you know, that they took from me when she turned 13, (laughs) Uh, it's a little bit difficult with her because, um, you know, I'm just the bane of her existence. But... um, what I try to do with her is uh, when I, I pick her up from school every day at 2 and we have some time before my younger son comes home. And, again, it's just one-on-one time. So every day at, at pickup time, she gets in the car and she just starts unloading about all the drama at school. And truthfully, again, it's that dedicated, I'm paying attention only to you and I may really want to roll my eyes with all the stupid things you're telling me about about ninth grade, <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> I resist the temptation. Um, and so, in summary, I think what I would say is just I really believe that that personal connection, and and there's a term in in my field called attunement, which is more than just paying attention. It is being tuned in to the other person. Um, there's a lot of research about infants and how um, attunement with a parent is so important or with a caregiver if a parent isn't there. And so as tough as it is, I really do try to be tuned in to those kids individually, even if it's just for a few moments. And if you can't take the big family vacation or do the things that traditionally or that our culture says, you know, taking them to the movies or whatever, just tune in for 10 or 15 minutes. Make it, make, make it a habit of having that special time one-on-one with those kids. It doesn't really take that much time if you plan for it, and, and so that's, that would be my suggestion. Yeah, it really doesn't take much time, and really that's all it is to a child is um, the attunement, being present right there, right now, pay attention to me. And yes, we know sometimes the younger kids can be mommy, 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 mommy. But honestly, what I have found is when you can just turn around and put the paper down, leave the computer, put your phone down, and be totally Mm -hmm. present going, okay, you got my attention. What is it on your mind today? They will tell Mm -hmm. you, tell you, tell you, and then they're going to go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, and I have to say, as you were speaking, it made me think of this poster. Um, I I, I have this several different places in my house, but it's... um, a uh, little quote called priorities. And it says, a hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove. But the world might be a different place because I was important in the life of a child. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what right. you're saying. Just be important, be there. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what, Jeannie? <laughs> I feel like, oh, we don't want to, wait, we don't want to, I don't want to 
use up any more of your time, but I think we have to pick this one up at some other point. Um, okay. Because you do, you have so many wonderful things to share, and I want to say just really again, thank you so much for taking your time and sharing your passion about being a special needs advocate um, and what you do for parents who put their heart on the line, um, want to grow their family, adopt, and then mm-hmm. have those struggles, and now they have you to help them work through these challenges so that they can have a better path of understanding how to do this. So thank you so much. Right. It has been my pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Sure. And Jane, your information will go up on the uh, website when your episode is published. So everyone, please, if you want to know more about um, her, her past advocacy business, uh, please check it out. Get in touch with her. She'll make a difference. Meanwhile, um, thank you all for joining me again today, A Balanced Life for You. Please remember to give this a five-star rating, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Jeannie. Thank you. Thank you.